Well, I, I didn't think that I would make it for this podcast this week. Uh, you know, having to catch that plane after uh, making a guest appearance playing for Pro Piacenza in Seti C this week. Uh, but here I am, Frank Ravello, host of Seti A Sit Down, and we're ready for another edition. Uh, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is and always at the highest level. Also uh, making the trip back from playing with uh, Pro Piacenza uh, today was uh, was and is my co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. <laughs> Ciao, Frank. I'm glad we can make it back on for the Parma podcast. I mean, uh, sorry, the Giuseppe Verdi's got me uh, all mixed up there. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. I thought that they, they would field the full team of eleven. We had to go out there with like uh, when we got like four or five other teenagers, and we had to play a bunch of pros. I'm not. I'm not in shape for that. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was some that was fun, right? Twenty nothing. Yeah, for for people that uh, that that are not uh, privy to what Richard and I are talking about, uh, um, and it actually made headlines on ESPN. Um, Serie C side Pro Piacenza um, could not. Uh, did, you know, they traveled to play. Who was it? Was it Cunio? Was Cunio. that the other? Yeah. Okay, Cunio. Okay, so they had to. Uh, they they. They could not. The, the pro players, like on, on Pro Piacenza, they didn't want to make the trip. And this is actually a, a really sad story. Uh, pro Piacenza is not affording, can't afford to pay their, their their players' wages. So, in protest, their players refused to travel to play Cuno. So, uh, pro Piacenza pulled up seven players only uh, from their youth teams, and he, ranging in age from 16 to 19. And I guess an eighth showed up um, about an hour later, and then. Uh, and this is the this is the way I understand it, uh, but they still had to play with just seven because one of the players that was that was out there ended up getting hurt. Uh, so yep, yep. Uh, Cunio took a sixteen nil lead at halftime and ended up winning twenty nil. I, you know, it's just sad all the way around. Really, um, and we're just we're we're making a little bit of light of it. I don't know. We we might have offended somebody by doing that. If we did, we, we apologize. But uh, you know when. It's not not often you have these kind of stories. So, um, you know, hopefully there's some sort of resolution that works out for everybody with the club and with the players getting paid, and that we don't have an incident like this again. Because this, you, mind you, it's at AC, Richard, but it's still it's still a bit of a stand on Italian football, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. With all the stuff that's been going on through the years, and uh, as of late, really, it's it's a, just another uh, stain on, uh, on the Italian game. But hopefully, we can get past this and. Uh, and move on, and hopefully for Propiacenza's sake, they get uh, start getting paid and uh, can figure this out. I know there are talks about you know trying to reschedule this match and whatnot, but yeah, it's uh it's certainly a sad uh, story all the way around. Yeah, let's let's hope that there's some like I guess some some sort of positive revolution resolution here. Um, uh, for some reason, this our, our guest did not make the trip uh, to play with Propiacenza today, um, but uh, we do have a guest. He's a journalist. Uh, you can find his stuff on uh, at Di Marzio. Uh, he's also the founder of the Laziali. Um, and if you, yes, by uh, um, by uh, brilliantly deducing, as you did, our Serie A sit-down listeners, he is a Lazio supporter. And boy, are we going to talk about his team. Um, let's, uh, let's say uh, he's making his first cap, by the way, with Serie A sit-down. We say benvenuto to Stephen K. Moore. Welcome, Stephen. 
Thank you guys for having me. It's been great. Yeah, unfortunately, I just uh, actually missed my flight over to Italy today. So <laughs> I wasn't able to join you guys for that game, but I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. We're glad to have you. And we, 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 have, some, we, we, have, uh, we have some questions for your team. Uh, we, we have not done a Lazio deep dive yet this season, so, uh, and it's coming at a very interesting time. So glad to have you on board. Uh, gentlemen, let's jump in first by talking about what took place uh, in the UEFA Champions League um, at midweek. Um, also the, uh, the Europa League games as there were three that involved Serie A teams uh, and really we're just going to go through Q&A I think everybody knows what went down at this point uh, but what I want to do is uh, ask a question for you guys uh, we know on Tuesday there was one of the Serie A teams involved Roma, they beat Porto by two goals to one uh, Nicolo Zaniolo a bit of a coming, coming out party uh, getting a brace um, but I, my opinion here on Tuesday, and I said this on Twitter, I said this was a day for the Italian footballer because when you take a look at what happened over the course of those two games, you also had Manchester United hosting PSG. You had Zaniolo's brace uh, against Roma. You can say, you could probably throw Lorenzo Pellegrini um, into the conversation, had a pretty impressive performance here in the opening leg at the Olimpico. Um, and then in the Man United PSG game, Gianluigi Buffon uh, was hardly troubled, and I think it was because he... Uh, did such an, you know, just, he was Gigi, uh, organized his defense, was hardly troubled against a Man United attack that had been scoring like he'd been going out of style in the Premier League. And then, of course, Marco Verratti, who just had it all glued together um, for the French side to get that 2-0 away win. So, uh, Stephen, I'm going to start with you. Um, let's talk most impressive Italian player on Tuesday night. Now, uh, I want to give you the choice between... Because I think it's down to two. I think it's Marco Verratti uh, and uh, Nicolo Zaniolo. But if you want to make a case for Buffon, I'm not going to fight you. Uh, which, uh, who was the Italian player of the night there on Tuesday night? So for me, uh, like quite frankly, both these players played excellent for their respective clubs. Um, and I'm going to have to go with Marco Verratti. Although Zaniolo is a Roma player, and that's not because I'm a Lazio fan because I'm saying this, but although Zaniolo, <laughs> for those who don't know, He's obviously broken onto the scene this year for Roma, but he did score a brace in that game against Porto. But I believe that PSG had the more difficult task of taking on that informed Manchester United side away from home. Um, United had not lost since Ole Solskjaer's appointment coming into this Champions League clash. Like They've scored 28 goals and only conceded 7 from 11 matches, which is quite the feat. Um, in addition to that, PSG had Neymar, Cavani, and Mune all absent from the side. So this is what makes Verratti's performance even more impressive, in my personal opinion. Um, if you want to have a good win, set, win, a good chance at winning a match, you need to dominate and control the middle of a park. And for Tuchel in that 4-2-3-1 formation, Rati did just this, standing up to the occasion and outclassing the likes of Pogba, Matic, and Herrera. So, all in all, I know Zaniolo is that upcoming star. He has been playing terrific this season for Roma, but Verratti was excellent, and it was good to see him on top form in that Man United clash. Yeah, I mean, you stole everything I was going to say, really. <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm, 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 I'm for Verratti. Uh, as, as nice as the coming out party was for Nicolo Zaniolo, uh, you know, and making himself a revelation on uh, the European stage, I mean, I, you could argue uh, Di Maria's two assists aside and, you know, his own agenda for wanting to get one back on Man United, you could really make a genuine argument for Marco Verratti being the best player on the pitch in that game. Um, you know, so for me, and, and, and under all of those circumstances, missing a number of key players, as you alluded to, Stephen, I'm with you. I, I 
I've, uh, I'll easily make uh, Verratti the best Italian on the night there on Tuesday night. Richard, is this unanimous? Uh, no, it's not. I'm going to go with uh, the youngster, Zagnolo. I thought, you know, Verratti, he's, he had a tremendous performance, no doubt about it. He's been there before, right? Zagnolo's never done this before. He's uh, over well, a year ago. He was playing for a youth academy somewhere. He wasn't uh, in the limelight. What's this kid doing his first game in the Champions League? Or in his, in his knockout rounds, I should say. He, he scores a brace. Uh, I, I thought his, he was he was he had the, the, the fire, the intensity that he needed. Uh, he capitalized on, on opportunities that he got. And uh, he really worked his butt off, and he was really representative of what Roma brought to that table on that day and uh, really performed really well, I thought. And I'm going to give it to the kid. Okay. I, and, and uh, you know, I don't think you can – I don't think – you can make an argument for either of these two players. Um, they were both uh, special uh, in carrying their teams to victory, you know, for different reasons. So – uh, you know, uh, Stephen and I like Verratti, you like Zaniolo and, and, uh, you know, at Serie I sit down on Twitter or Instagram, uh, respond to us. Who was, uh, who was better on that Tuesday night, uh, in the Champions League, Marco Verratti or Nicolo Zaniolo. So, um, let's, uh, talk Europa League and, um, I don't think we have to waste a whole lot of time, Stephen, on Inter, uh, at Rapid Vien, um, and then, uh, Napoli at FC Zurich. We, we all thought that, uh, they would go away if Napoli cared. They would stomp Zurich, and that's what they did, 3-1. Um, so they're in a great position to advance to the round of 16. Inter also in a very good position to advance to the round of 16. A little bit of a different path for them, obviously, considering the Icardi stuff. And yes, we will talk Icardi later. Um, but uh, that... Uh, <laughs> You know, that was a morale-boosting win. Inter just had to get... If you ever have to get the hell out of a country and go somewhere else and play a match and win and just get away from all of the noise, uh, this could not have come for a better time at a better time for Inter, and it was Lautaro Martinez getting the goal on a penalty. It absolutely is, obviously, with all this drama going on with the Cardi. And then, like you said, we'll touch a little bit more on this afterwards. But with all that drama going on in Italy and with even, like, the rocks being thrown at Juan Riccardi's car... Yes, this is football, but it is a family as well. You need to take in that into consideration. And I don't think one player makes a full team. They have so many other players on that team that can bring them to victory. So just getting away from Italy and ignoring that kind of just noise that they're hearing. Obviously, they probably had some traveling away fans, but it was definitely good for them to get that win as well. Definitely for Spalletti and Marotta and the Club of Inter. Richard, uh you know, we have always said on on Serie A down that one of the problems here for Inter for the last two seasons, you know, was we we kind of called them Icardi dependent, um, yeah. or, or or Mr. Nada dependent, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, so um, refreshing to see, you know, a, a man that they bought a man that they brought in to, uh, you know, really provide some cover for Icardi, but now he's turning out that to be the future. Lautaro getting the goal. Uh, getting the crucial away goal for Inter to put him to position to get to round of 16. He's not only the future, he's the now, apparently. Yeah, no, it's it's great to see. Uh, we uh, were wondering, you know, we were, he was, Inter were very Icardi de- dependent. Uh, even when, you know, even when Perisic was playing, everybody else was playing except for Icardi, the team would still struggle. And now they're finding ways to win. And it's important that they do that because the captain may not be playing for a little bit. So, uh, the former captain, I should say. And then, no, it's great that uh, Lautaro Martinez is getting his opportunity and he's capitalizing on it. Yes, it was a penalty penalty kick goal, but hey, a goal is a goal. It doesn't matter. It gets you, uh, gets you the win. It's a it's a nice place to be if you're Inter that you know you you get a win on the road 
and you're you're in the present now. You're you're changing. You're trying to change things up in the locker room, and you know a great way to start that off is by getting a win and getting out of getting out of Austria. Indeed, indeed, and then obviously uh, we don't have to spend any time on Napoli going on the road. We we basically said if they care about this competition, they're gonna they're gonna stop Zodic and Zodic. They did just that. They're in a they're in a clear path to the round of sixteen unless something disastrous happens at the San Paolo. Um, moving on, uh, and let's just talk. Well, let, we're going to get into your Lazio Q&A here, Stephen, but since this was Europa League, let's talk about this game. Lazio lose the opening uh, leg at the Olimpico to Sevilla. I thought if they got any chance of going uh, and, and knocking off Sevilla, who I think are joint favorites in this competition with Napoli, um, they had to win at the Olimpico. I, I, I didn't see a scenario where they could take a deficit to Spain and overturn it. Um, we predicted, unfortunately, <laughs> boy, we're... You're coming at a bad time, Stephen. <laughs> um, Richard and I both predicted that uh, Sevilla would win uh, the first leg at the Olimpico, um, and and true true to form that happened. A Vincent Benyetter goal rather early um, uh, gives Sevilla a great advantage as they take that back to Spain on Thursday. As a Lazio supporter, um, and as a you know Lazio supporter hat, objective journalist had answered in any. Uh, Answer it any way you want to. What went wrong in particular just against Sevilla? Against Sevilla, like, I believe that they, they started the game well. It, it was all good. Obviously, 20 minutes in, off of one error at the one end, after Luis turned over the ball, they came down and countered. Usain Benyatter scored, and that was the, the decisive goal in the end of the match. But Inzaghi was forced to make all three substitutions off of injury, and he was already coming into this match on an injury-hampered side. So... We had a lot of substitutes playing. Um, obviously, I believe personally Luis Alberto was the man of the match, even though he played only 45 minutes. Um, it was unfortunate that he got he's one of those players who got an injury. Um, but both him and Joaquin Correa came from Sevilla. So I was expecting them to show a little bit more and show a little bit more desire and courage going forward. Uh, it didn't turn out to work for them. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that we were able or we lost one nothing at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, this is the first leg. We want to go up and not concede an away goal. It turns out that that's what actually happened, and we've conceded an away goal and lost not scoring a goal. So heading to Spain on Thursday, it's going to be even tougher, especially with the more injuries that we received today in the game against Genoa. So uh, it's unfortunate that we did lose one nothing, but I have to have faith in Lazio going forward and in Zaghi and all the players that are going to be getting a chance to play. What's your outlook for the return leg? Um Considering there's a fight for European places still, they're, you know, they're, they're still in it for top four. Uh, they're still in it for a European place for next season. And it's, you know, with, with some of the teams coming on, those positions are a real dogfight at this point. Do, they, do you see Simone and Zaghi look at this and say, you know, uh, let's cut our losses? And do you see him fielding a, a different team on Thursday? Uh, you know, albeit, you know, dare I say it, a weakened team and just saying, hey, I think this is as far as we're going. Um, let's let's cut our losses and let's just focus on the league and maybe even focus on the Copa, which we're still in as well. Yeah, so for me, like Inzaghi said multiple times, Lazio are the only Serie A side right now still competing on three fronts. It is quite impressive, but like I mentioned earlier on Twitter, this kind of makes it to the point where they don't have a specific goal um, in mind that they're trying to accomplish. Like They're trying to do three things, get to the end of all three competitions. They're trying to make that last... Uh, Champions League spot in the Serie A but the issue is now with so many injuries this 
what let's say weak inside is all they can really put out there right now. Like with stars like Luis Alberto, who's going to be out for at least 40 days, that, that was just mentioned today, and Milkovic Savic, Mowgli still not match fit. The side that we're going to have to put out there is all we're going to have. So um, at the end of the day, people might think Inzaghi's going, okay, like this is it, we're just going to throw in the towel. But I, I personally believe that the players that he puts out there is going to be the best capable thing that we can do. Um, it, it kind of depends on their mentality, the players that are being put out there. A lot of the players are not regular starters, so they may try to make an impact for themselves and make a word for the manager. Um, that's my hope, at least. I kind of want to see them stay in the competition. It's good to see them face uh, a top seed, top side in Spain over uh, the previous years. So we'll see what happens, but I- I'm hoping for the best on Thursday. Okay. Um I, I I I want the best for Italian football. I don't have. I just don't. I you know. I no. I don't hold a lot of hope here for this one. Um, but uh, very attacking, so it's going to be scary. But we'll see. Okay. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Miracles do happen. So, um, we're going to talk. We're going to we're going to talk more Lazio here in a moment. Um, let's get into. Uh, the Champions League game this week on Wednesday at the Wanderer Metropolitano. Juventus is making a trip there for the first leg with Atletico Madrid in hopes that they will be able or they will get the opportunity to make an additional trip to the Wanda Metropolitano a little bit later on in the calendar year. Uh, so it all starts here against Atletico Madrid. Richard, um, we talked about this when the draw came out. We continue to talk about it. This is... I mean, they're they're all tough when you get to the round of 16 and further forward. But this is, you know, you know, this is the closest thing that 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 Juve will go up against to um, being Juve. You know what I mean? Um, Just in terms of what Simeone brings to the table, how organized they're going to be, how rigid they're going to be. um, What do you see happening in the opening leg in Madrid? First off, this is like a Wanda-themed uh, podcast here. Uh, yeah, you. Oh, Richard. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> so you hit the nail on the head. This is going to be. This is arguably. Or not even. I think it's not even debatable. These are the two toughest defenses in in Europe right now, and or oh, and has been for the last several years. And so, I mean, th- both teams are going to get a taste of what what other teams face feel like when they play them. Right. Uh, both have stout defenses. Uh, they. They, they're very clinical when they get their opportunities. They like to hog possession. Um, both teams can play on the counter as well when they're, when they're conceding possession. They're very, they're very versatile. Both managers are top-notch managers. Um, we know what Allegri's done at Serie A and Simeone. Uh, the, the stuff that he's done in, in La Liga is uh, awesome. He's a, he's a genius over there. So uh, two fantastic managers, two fantastic teams. It's going to be a dogfight. And it's going to be not many goals in this. If there's more than, if there's more than four goals over the two legs, I'll be surprised. I mean, that's how good these defenses are, and uh, it's rare that either of these teams make uh, makes mistakes. And uh, really, the team who makes the most is going to lose, obviously. And you can say that about any game, really. But these two teams, they rarely do make mistakes, and so that's going to be a very low scoring. You might, you might see two one nothing games or a zero zero game and a one nothing game. I mean, it's going to be that low scoring. Yeah, I. Steven, do you agree with that? And then do you think all of the other contending teams for the Champions League are relieved that these two teams are going to just beat the hell out of each other for over two games in the round of 16? I absolutely do. Uh, like you guys have just mentioned, there, like Simeone has got a very well-trained and structured team. Um, obviously, they both have very good defense. Um, but Allegri's side, 
went through a little injury uh, span there. So it's good to see they're all the defenders are back on uh, they're all back on full strength at least. Um, it's going to be a hard game for them at least going to Spain away from their home turf in the first match. But I believe that the Bianco Neri are going to take those three points at the end of the day. Um, and similar to like you guys have just mentioned, I'm going to predict a one nothing or two one victory in the first leg for Juventus. Ronaldo's um, mm. going back to see uh, his Madrid rivals. I believe that he is going to upset them. Uh, it's just kind of written in the stars here. He's had a um, he's definitely had a hand in uh, uh, in some big big wins for Real Madrid over Atletico over the years. So uh, he's going to be he's going to feel right at home being back in Madrid. I actually I think it's going to be one one. Um, I've been saying all along is that one one at at, uh, at at in Madrid and then they'd come back to Turin and win one nil. That's how I think it's going to go. So I'm going for a one. I'm going for a score draw. Juventus will take a slight advantage back to Italy. Uh, Richard, I don't think we got a score from you. No, and uh, so I think. Uh, I mean, I, I did say it's going to be low scoring. I think uh, I agree with Steven that Ronaldo's going to be amped up for this, and I, I see one nothing a Ronaldo goal to take it back to the J Stadium. All right, so we've got two picking a win. I'm picking a score draw. Uh, and nonetheless, we all think Juve are going to go through. Your predictions on Atletico Madrid against Juventus on Wednesday. Uh, Juventini, uh, get, go at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. This is, this is the competition. You bought Ronaldo. You're all in. Uh, so uh, tell us what you think is going to go down on Wednesday. All right, let's uh, continue our Q&A with Lazio with Stephen Moore. Okay, Stephen. Um, so we talked a little bit about the Sevilla game, and I think that uh, you know Sevilla is kind of a microcosm of you know a, a problem with Lazio that you know we at City I sit down are talking about at length. Okay, and and I think and, and that's my first question for you as far as Lazio, and this is kind of a state of the uh, state of state of Lazio uh, Q and A here more than anything. So I, I guess what I would like to ask is. You know, when you look at the big boys in Serie A, the, the big six, okay, you have the two Roman clubs, Lazio and Roma, the two Milan clubs in Juve and Napoli. All of the games Lazio have played against those teams uh, so far this season in Serie A, just one point, and that was a stoppage time goal from Correa against Milan. Uh, it, it's, it's not the kind of form against top six teams that you want to have if you're trying to battle for a top four place. Um, so... My question is, you know, what uh, is keeping Lazio this particular season from making that leap and overcoming some of these opponents and overcoming uh, some of these games and getting those results? And then I, I want to extend this to Simone Inzaghi. He's, you know, second part of this question, Simone Inzaghi, you know, he's a Lazio lifer, but has this team plateaued with him? And is, is there some serious, should there be some serious thought uh, by Lotito to say, you know, I love this guy, but he has taken Lazio as far as he can take him. Yeah, so to start off with your first question there, like I believe that this top six deal, the ordeal at least, has been a major storyline for the club this season. And I believe it's the cause of two major factors. Um, firstly, I believe that after last season, managers are reviewing how Lazio obtained success. And for the second part of it, Nzagi's being reluctant to change his ways, which are causing these constant struggles when they play one of these top six teams. Um, so most clubs have the ability to alternate between, let's say, a three or four back formation. But for the Bianco Celeste, they stick to that 3-5-2 formation with the same starting 11. 
um, give or take, match in, match out. So due to advancements in technology, this makes it easy for the clubs nowadays to prevent them from creating anything because they sit down, they watch it with the team, with the management, they see what are we going to do to prevent them from going forward, creating chances, scoring goals. So we have to give credit as well to the experienced managers, but I believe it's not just the the big teams as uh, so we talk about that Lazio struggle with. It's kind of anyone else as they can innovate and bring, break them down when they take a look and sit down and say, hey, how is Lazio doing this? Like most of the plays per se were through Milinkovic Savic uh, and Luis Alberto last season. They've kind of been able to close them down, which is hence their production is down so low. Um, and same thing with Immobile, like we saw in the general clash today. Uh, he provided an assist because so many people were around him. So he kind of switched it up instead of going for goal, passed it back across, and Bedell got that goal. So um, that's the answer to the first part of the question. In terms of the second part with Inzaghi, yes, I, I believe last season was a breakout year for him. He really had success, and I believe that that was the year for Lazio to make the Champions League. That last game was, that'll stick with me for quite some time, if I'm going to say so myself. <laughs> um, Inter, you had to give them respect and credit where it's due, but that whole Stefan de Vrij situation was horrendous for us. But at the end of the day, you have to get up and move on, and I, I don't feel that Inzaghi has done that. We're fielding the same players like I've aforementioned there. It's just there's no creativity, I feel, within the side, and when your big boys on the team don't create chances, it looks even worse on the manager because they have all those players on the bench that you just purchased over the summer, over the January transfer market, and they're sitting there on the bench not playing or getting the minutes that they deserve to. So at the end of the day, I think they have plateaued a little bit. Um, they are performing well, um, even though we are losing against these top sides. Even the first two games of, or sorry, the second and third game of uh, the restart here against Juventus and Napoli, they played terrific. They outplayed Juventus. I thought they were going to win. And of course, yeah, what happened, yeah. they lose again. So. Yeah, it is quite uh, a struggle, I believe, that Lotito has to deal with. But I, I believe he's going to stick by him until there is an exact reason to um, dismiss him from the club. Well, last season, uh, Lazio were certainly fun to watch. They were, uh, quote-unquote, an, an offensive juggernaut for majority of the season, really. Um, it was our make or break, really, and and two players in particular that you kind of mentioned already already um, were part of that, and that's uh, Luis Alberto and Serge, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Both of them, both those players were fantastic last season. Both were uh, perennial players in our in our top five, our top uh, starting 11s. Uh, the awards going on throughout the year. So, um, you know, while both those players were fantastic, and there was a huge price tag that was on on SMS. Uh, during the off season, whether he would go, he whether he would stay. Obviously, he stayed. Um, but coming into the season, both players really, really struggled uh, to regain that form that they had last season. Uh, what's going on there? I mean, Luis Alberto, Luis Alberto, excuse me, he's starting to come out of it over the last you know month or so. He's starting to get back to his ways, like you said uh, in the Europa League clash. First forty five minutes, he was he was fantastic against Juventus. I thought he looked really good as well. Sergey, 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 though he's been. Uh, much slower to get out of it. Like, what can you attribute to the slow starts for both these players, or were they just a blip on the radar? And last season was just uh, uh, a micro—not not a microcosm—but they were just uh, a, a lie to us more more than anything. Is this where, which player? Which player? Which of these uh, two forms of these players is really the, the true player? Is it, is it this season's performances, or is it last year? <laughs> That's a very tricky question, but. 
Um, last season, we saw a lot of breakout stars, um, and many of them pertain to Lazio. We saw Marusic, we saw Anzaghi himself as a manager, and then, of course, we saw Immobile score, get the Capo Canieri award, um, and then in addition to SMS and Luis Alberto. Um, both of these players, former Liverpool star, a youth Serbian coming up through the ranks, this was like their first season to really put things uh, together inside that 3-5-2 formation, and they gelled really well. They surprised a lot of teams like Atalanta are doing this season. Like I believe personally that Lazio last season, it's Atalanta this season. They, they're really surprising. Gasparini is doing a very good job. But to stick back to Lazio and the two players that you just mentioned there, coming into the season, they had both, at least Alberto at least, were coming off injury, and he's still recovering. So it took him a while to get uh, back into form. He wasn't in preseason training at all. He was doing his own individual training. Um, Linkovic Savic was obviously in the World Cup with Serbia, so he took an extra break after that to get back with the club. When they did come back, everyone was like, okay, hey, we got Immobile, we got Milinkovic Savic, we have Luis Alberto. These three are going to be the ones carrying Lazio throughout the season once again. The issue is, like I had mentioned before, the 3 5 2 formation with the same starting 11, it gets it's standardized. What happens is that clubs try to innovate, and that's what they do, and they break Lazio down. So if everything is going through those two players, if you surround them or just have one individual player guarding both of them, in a sense, they can't really do anything, and that's what happens, and then Lazio are struggling to create chances. So when they look at numbers compared to Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savic, they look and say, hey, this is typically not what we're used to seeing uh, compared to last season, but that is because of that anomaly, we can say, from last season, but right. both are definitely creative, and and I personally like both of the players. Like Milinkovic Savic is very good in the air. He's still doing his job in the midfield. It's just the numbers from both of them aren't there, um, which is obviously contributing to Lazio's goal scoring drought and we haven't really scored more than three goals in a lot of the games this season so uh, compared to last season when we topped the league in goals yeah it is quite annoying in a sense indeed um i want to shift this to uh you know to off the field uh steven um obviously uh lazio's rival roma um are moving ahead with plans for stadio della roma this this is feels like it's been a decade that they have been trying to get this done. Uh, but it seems like things are starting to, uh, to move forward uh, a little more rapidly, at least, um, than maybe where we were at this time a year ago or even a year and a half ago. So with Roma moving into another stadium, stadium um, or getting ready to, what's, what are Lazio's plans? Uh, are, is it, you know, continue with the Olimpico or... Does Lotito have something long, long-term laid out for the club? Uh, so from what I've heard to this date, I actually wrote a post on this, uh, I believe, last week sometime. But obviously we got to hear that the project for the Stadio della Roma will be going forward from Roma's ma- or Rome's mayor, uh, Virginia Raggi. Um, obviously terrific news for the city and the club. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take for this to be put up. So I know that both will still be playing out of the Stadio Olimpico, but... The Stadio Olimpico is such a historic stadium. Um, for myself, I'd like to see Lazio stay there and make that their true home. Uh, maybe give it some renovations, maybe some updating. But um, to this date, there has, uh, with several interests and several rumors, um, I, nothing has progressed on these fronts uh, that I've heard of. Uh, Giovanni Malago, um, the president of the uh, Italian National Olympic Committee, actually stated himself uh, when he was interviewed about uh, a week ago. And he said he's still waiting to hear from the Bianco Celesti, but he would be all for it if, if something were to be proposed. Um, personally, myself with Lotito, uh, I'm still trying to pay off that debt. Um, and once he does do that, he's going to be kind of reluctant to dish out that money. 
Um, unless we get an additional investor, um, I don't see this happening. I think they're just going to stick with the Stadio Olimpico. Now, will that be uh, just uh, now? Now, how is the arrangement with the Olimpico? Is it a lease, much like some of these other clubs? I know I, I believe the Milan clubs lease the San Siro. Um, although I think they have some, I, there there are some plans with the uh, San Siro going forward that are involving both clubs. I, I'm not totally privy to it. Um, but is it a lease? What's the what? What is the arrangement there? For that arrangement, there I can't speak on that front. I'm not too sure about that agreement between the two clubs. I believe it'll be something similar to like what Inter and Milan do, but I can't confirm that as I'm not too sure on that front. Okay. So you know, we talked a little bit about the stadium, and earlier you were talking about Inzaghi, and I kind of want to bring it back to that and end on that. He's obviously a good manager. Last year, you said last year you said it was his breakout year, and and really since he's been uh, at the helm of Lazio, he's really done great things with them. And it, it obviously you know he's been he's a he's a club favorite. He does really well as a manager, um, but he is having trouble adjusting this season. You know, last year he did, he, he surprised a lot of people. This year, as you as you said, you know teams are trying to figure him out, and he's not adjusting as he should. Um, so with all that thing, keeping all that in your mind. Um, where at what point is he the guy for the future, or is he the guy just for the short term? Um, I mean, at what point does Lotito get fed up with uh, lack of results? And uh, I guess it depends on what, where they end up in the, end of the season, right? But um, for you in particular, as a fan, do you see Inzaghi as the guy who leading the future to get you guys to the Champions League and and wherever you you would like this club to go to, or is uh, he's just a stepping stone? And and who would come in? Do you think would be ideal? To, to lead Lazio to, to the glory land? So, personally, like uh, Gennaro Gattuso at Milan, Simone Inzaghi was a Laziali. He shows a lot of passion. He really cares for the side. And it's very good to see as a fan when your coach is with the side. He's not emotionalist. He's very, very involved with the club, which is good to see. However, with this being said, um, I believe a lot of this has to do with Claudio Otito himself. Um, based on their position at the end of the season... Um, obviously, we'll take another look at this, but for the time being, I don't believe that Inzaghi will be dismissed and that they'll bring someone else in uh, to take over for the future. Um, I think Simone Inzaghi will be this guy to continue with the club. And for me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing this. Would I like to see someone else come into the side? Yes. But we have to take a look at how much money has been spent, what has been done for him in term, in relation to all the other Serie A team clubs and how much they've spent over the past transfer markets um, even the summer and just this past January, per se. We, we said we wanted to make a push for the Champions League. We said we wanted to go far in the Europa League this year. We want to finish top four in the Serie A team. But when you look at who we brought in, no one really improved the side. The only person that was put into the starting 11 was the replacement for Stefan De Vrij, which is Francesco Acerbi. Um, Joaquin Correa is kind of taking over that role. And with Luis Alberto being injured now, um, we're obviously going to see him playing a lot more. But... No one was really brought into the side to improve and elevate this side. So for Inzaghi, his 3-5-2 formation is what works for him best. Um, and that's what he's going to stick to. Myself personally, I, I could see Simeone, a former Laziali, coming into this side. Uh, Mancini coming into this side. Conte, any one of those big Italian names coming into the side and leading us forward would definitely be ideal. But I, I like Simone Inzaghi. I like what he does. But I think that he has to be relative to change and that Lotito has to give him that ability to say hey okay if i need this player to switch a formation to four at the back or acquire another defender we can do this and then go forward so for the time being i, I do think simone Inzaghi will be the man in charge uh, to carry lazio forward 
Okay. Um, and yeah, he, I mean, and he's one of the good guys of the league too. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. you know, when you, when you consider it, so you, you know, if you, <laughs> by no means do you want to wish any, um, you know, any ill will on him. You want to, you don't want to wish failure on him and that sort of thing. But the questions, you know, you know, certainly do, um, certainly do have to be asked. So, um, <sighs> What's realistic for Lazio? Or I guess let's 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 wrap it up with this as far as Lazio, and then we'll talk about the game. You know, we'll we'll rub more salt into the wounds. Unfortunately, Stevens. Um, Lazio's considering everything that's going on, and considering where we are here, recording on February seventeenth, two thousand and nineteen, the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen season will be a success for Lazio if blank. If uh, blank, so. I, I believe it'll be a successful season if they obtain Champions League. That has been their goal. That is what they've been saying their goal is. And for, for them to say that with such confidence um, since the summer, since that last season where we had our heartbreaks on the last match day, I think that they need to prove that they can do it and get to that spot. Obviously, it's a lot harder with so many different clubs battling for that spot. But I think a successful season for them will to be fit to finish in that fourth Champions League spot. Um the Europa League, as it stands right now, I don't see us moving forward, but I'm always optimi- optimistic in seeing them go forward. I-, I can't see them winning the Europa League, per se, so um, maybe passing the stage would be ideal. Um, and then in terms of the Coppa Italia, we do have a very good chance at winning that, so I- at least making it to the finals in the Coppa Italia, acquiring that Champions League spot, and hopefully going on to the next round in the Europa League. I- I'd consider that a very successful season. At this standpoint, okay, uh, you know some some lofty ambi- some some lofty ambitions there, as you as you admit. Let's just yeah. let's see if they can turn it around and do it because uh, they can ill afford results like they had today. Uh, Genoa and Lazio is how we will lead off the uh, uh, match week twenty four slate. As we have a Lazio guest, it's customary we always start with a game involving them. Unfortunately, it's a game that Stephen would rather forget than talk about. Um, Lazio. Uh, actually play you know opened rather brightly uh genoa also was producing some chances uh when you take a look at the first half of this game lazio had the possession uh had the superiority in possession they created dangerous chances uh put a lot of pressure you know put a lot of pressure on genoa's goal but it would be milan badel uh scoring just before halftime uh in the 44th minute to put lazio ahead by a goal to nil um, Bedell is a curious one for me, Stephen. Uh, talented player, played really well for Fiorentina last season, had a good World Cup with Croatia. Uh, what's, I guess, what's with the lack of pitch time with him? Is it just that Lucas is preferred and it's Inzaghi's system that he can't get both of those guys out there? What uh, I, I'm, I'm curious as to the lack of opportunity for Bedell. Myself included. Um, seeing him in the World Cup, uh, we have a big Croatian community here, so watching him play... Every single match was, I was like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Those were my words so when I was looking at that because I could see um, Inzaghi maybe trying to play a 4-2-3-1, fitting both of them in the defensive roles, which in my opinion would be ideal. Um, but like I said before, he is reluctant to change. He likes that 3-5-2 formation and, and Lucas Lieva is his number one go-to for that spot. Um, so the lack of playing time is primarily driven by that factor. Um, in addition to, he came late, um, so he missed preseason training. So we saw Inzaghi in the uh, presser today actually mention, because um, there's a lot of questions about Bedell considering his proper performance today. Um, he said, well, what's wrong with Bedell? Why aren't you playing him as much as uh, he has been? He's been a starter for Fiorentina. 
he's been a starter for Croatia or playing at least consistently for uh, his nation. And he even said so himself. He's had some struggle. He's had some struggles um, actually adapting to uh, the Latvian environment and playing properly. Like when I personally first saw him come into the side, he wasn't very impressive. He looked very sloppy and sluggish, but that's probably just due to the fact that he missed a lot of the preseason training and he's coming into this side not really knowing anyone. Um, so with those two factors in mind, that's definitely the reason why. But moving forward with all these injuries that Lazio have currently sustained, he should be playing a lot more. And I believe that we'll be able to see him finally shine for the side, uh, giving Inzaghi kind of a run for his money there. Uh, terrific. And uh, terrific. He was probably, uh, to me, um, to me was the best player on the pitch for Lazio in this game, to, you know, goal aside. Uh, so... Uh, Richard, getting into the second half, uh, you know, it would continue on, uh, you know, goal to nil. Genoa was starting to become more of a presence. In fact, they they certainly uh, dominated, you know, in terms of shots and shots on target in the second half. And then would finally paid off in the 75th minute. Sanabria getting on the score sheet yet again. Richard, he's no Piantic, but uh, he's uh, at least been adequate, hasn't he? Oh my goodness, yeah, he is. And uh, when he scored that goal, I was fully expecting him to do the Piantic celebration there because uh, <laughs> it's like they haven't missed him a bit. And, you know, Sanabria is a proven goal scorer in the past in, in La Liga, and he's, he's, he's fit in nicely with Genoa. I mean, it's nice when you have pieces around him like Kwame, uh, Crescito, and, and the other guys around. Uh, he's, uh, he's getting in the right place at the right time, and he, he certainly has a nose for goal. And uh, he's a poacher's instinct that when he gets the opportunity, he doesn't need many. Uh, much room at all. All he has to do is get the ball, and he'll find a way to score, as he did in this goal, this game with that goal. Um, it's a that's a true poacher's goal right there. Just opportunistic, and boom, back of the net. And so uh, great for Genoa going forward uh, that they got someone who can find the net like that, and maybe uh, him and Kwame can start doing some special things together. Indeed, and uh, just kind of take a look into the substitutions for Lazio. As as Stephen alluded earlier, Chiro Immobile just getting back, not match fit. So Caicedo came on for him in the 55th. Lucas did come on for Romulo uh, in the 64th minute. Um, Romulo was rather good in this game. Interesting that on that move, I think he wanted something that was a little bit some something a little more defensive minded. Could be you know the only explanation as far as that's concerned. They were still winning one nil at the time, um, and then uh, the third substitution in that one um, was injury related. Bruno Jordao was on for uh, Stefan Radu, who left with an injury. So uh, that's what went on with the changes that Lazio made. But Genoa continued to pile the pressure regardless, and it would pay off in the 93rd minute. Domenico Crescito with the winner from distance. Um, you know, just uh, it's it, it goes. It, it, is this is this a point draft? Is this a point draft? Would you have been okay with salvaging the point, Stephen? Considering how Genoa played in the second half, or is this just three points totally lost? Three points totally lost right off the bat. <laughs> um, this situation in this game went from good to bad to worse. Um, obviously, I personally don't agree with the substitutions that were made. Um, the first one we can. We can argue with, uh, we can kind of agree with, sorry, um, like we said, Immobile wasn't 100% match fit, so taking him off just 10 minutes after halftime, um, okay, it, it's fine. Uh, we put Felipe Caicedo on. Would I have made that substitution? I don't believe so. Um, I think that there's different options on the bench that he could have opted for. Uh, Pedro Neto, uh, Bruno Jardel, we actually saw come on later on, but Pedro Neto is hasn't played at all. He's a young Portuguese uh, starlet, as we saw through the Portuguese um, under 
believe it was 19 or 21s uh, where he broke out there and uh, actually scored an incredible goal. Um, he hasn't been given that much of a chance. We saw him come on last game as a substitute, so I was expecting him to be the one to lead the lines there, but they opted for Felipe Caicedo. He scored two goals recently, which is fine. Um, but then the second substitution was quite confusing for me. Romulo had, like you mentioned, played very well. He, he was playing as a central midfielder, not even where he was supposed to be playing for Lazio when they signed him. Um, and they put on Lucas Lieva. He himself isn't match fit. So for that to happen, and then obviously he was a factor in the goal that was later scored as he tried to clear the ball and just kicked it off Sanabria, that just kind of backfired totally in, in, in Soggy's face. So at that 1-1 standstill, it was okay. I was like, okay, well, let's just let's just totally scratch the victory, the three points. Let's just hold back here, take the draw, because this is all we're going to get, especially with Radu going out injured. We only really had Francesco Cherubi as that one known defender on the pitch. So I was looking at our lineup going, we, we need to just park the bus. bus Lulic, which put, what Lulic was playing as a center back at that point with Patrick on the opposite side. So it was very hard to watch. And then obviously in the dying seconds there, an extra time, you see Crescito smash a left foot shot into the, into the bottom right corner off the post. It just summed up the match, in my opinion, um, from just good to worse, just like that. Yeah, and curious to see Inzaghi. I mean, re- referring to Lucas on for Romulo, that... That's curious to me, considering how we've kind of gotten to know how Simone and Zaghi teams play and how they want to play. So to go conservative and try to go more defensive uh, with a substitution like that was very curious against a team like Genoa that, you know, if you're organized, it's been proven if you're organized. And yes, Sanabri has come on. He's been a bit of a revelation. Um, but if you're organized, you can keep Genoa out um, and, you know, don't think you really need the extra defensive midfielder if you can keep the ball from him. For sure, you're going to keep them out. So, yeah. So it it was it was baffling, I think, for me as well. Um, you know, when they made that when they made that substitution, and then just for they got punished for being might have gotten punished for being too conservative there. So, um, you know, Richard, let's just speak real quick in terms of Genoa. Uh, you know, and then we'll uh, uh, we'll get on to uh, talking about uh, Mr. Nara after this. Um, this is uh, they right now just need separation from the bottom three, uh, and a big win for them because now they're ten points clear uh, from 18th. So, um, Genoa uh, under Prandelli so far. Your thoughts? Hey, the, the job that Prandelli is doing so far is uh, it, it can't understate it. It's, it's been great what, what they've been doing for the team. The team has found uh, some offensive flair to it. I mean, you, can, you saw certainly today where. Uh, they're getting a lot of opportunities. They're still scoring goals now, and um, you got to like what Prandelli's brought to this team. He's brought in stability to this club and uh, gave them, I guess, a sense of hope. I, I don't know when you know with the previous managers that they had whether they had that hope. You know that yes, they knew they could play tough, um, make make you know make teams earn the wins, but there was nothing there saying like you're going to go definitely going to get a win with Prandelli, under Prandelli. You know they can. Start getting some goals now, Kwame. He's using him how he should be used, and and he he put in Sanabria to the team who's familiar with, and um, the whole team has this belief now that they can go out and get some wins. And as you saw today, I mean, had this been you know under another manager going down one nothing to Lazio, they're gonna lose that game. But Prandelli has instilled that that uh, that fight in them, and they kept they kept pressing, kept pressing. They got better and stronger as the game went on, and they scored those two goals. So 
uh, all the credit has to go to Prandelli, and, and you got to like their chances of not only you know surviving Serie A this season, but you know getting further and further away from the relegation zone. For sure, for sure. So a big win for Genoa. Uh, Lazio not in terrible shape at the moment. It's a defeat, but it only leaves them four points out of fourth. Still leaves them in the mix uh, in the European places. We'll have to see what Roma does against Bologna on Monday, and that's not a done deal for Roma, uh, the way Bologna have started under Mihailovic. So um, that is our wrap on the Lazio Q&A. Let's uh, get to uh, the... uh, uh, well, you, you can call them the Kardashians, as as our friend Nima Diwali calls them, <laughs> or you can call them the Naras, as I like to call them, and Mr. Nada having some problems. But we're going to have a quick chat about them. Okay, so drama at uh, Inter. And uh, just when we thought, and you know what? I think in the very infancy of the Serie A sit-down, I think Icardi was uh, the target of our, uh, of our jokes, uh, you know, and so forth. I think, because uh, at the infancy of the Serie A sit-down, Richard, that's when um, he was uh, going at it with the ultras and the story about how he, yeah. you know, whatever it was with the kid and all that other stuff. So. And we've come full circle because he's, <laughs> as you know, stripped of the captaincy as uh, Sami Handanovic now is the captain of Inter. Uh, and this is amid contract talks, which uh, clearly uh, Moro Icardi's wife is heavily involved in. Uh, and the uh, reputation uh, is getting damaged all the way around. Uh, it's getting damaged with the uh, Nada, Nada family or the Icardi family. We're going to call them the Nadas, the Nadas here because Wanda's certainly running the show right now from the, what I understand of it. Um, we're just going to have fun with this. <laughs> so um, so y- you've got that. You've got Inter fans making asses of themselves, uh, you know, threatening Wanda Nada, throwing rocks at her while she's in the car with her kids. That's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. But you know, what else do we expect from a band of ultras who uh, got very racial towards Khalidou Koulibaly? Um, just about everybody looks bad on this, Stephen, except for Beppe Morato, who is standing his ground. And um, I have a lot of fun things to say about Beppe Morato, but on this one, um, he's winning this one all the way around. And he really doesn't have to do much to win this one, does he? No, he really doesn't. Uh, coming from Juventus, this was a terrific acquisition by the Inter management. Uh, adding him to the side definitely is a bolster, and he deals with nothing. He is very strict. He gets to the point, and he does what is best for the team, as they have mentioned throughout this whole week. Just in the interview that was released last night, he even says to himself, he says, this is about the team, not just one individual player. He is really in for the benefit of the whole, not just a singularity, so... It is very good to see what he is doing. Obviously, maybe at this point, it wasn't maybe the best time to do it, but he's trying to prove a point. Maybe does this have some altercations to do with that contract extension? Possibly. Maybe with the bad form that he's been in? Possibly. But all in all, Murata is definitely a good acquisition for the side. So we'll see where this moves on to. But for the time being, uh, good job to him. Richard. This 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 clearly does not end with Icardi continuing to play for Inter, does it? It's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> he is not going to be an Inter player for long. Um, I know there are some talks today. There's some quote that came out saying, "Oh, well, there's no discussions about him leaving Inter this summer." Bullsh- bullshit. Um, 
this is uh, not going to end well for Icardi. For Inter, hopefully it will end well because, uh, as you guys have said, with Beppe Morata, he's going to come out the winner, and he, he obviously has a plan in mind, and we've seen what he's done in the past. So um, I, I expect Inter to go the right places. This is not going to end well for Icardi, and, you know, there's rumors that maybe he's got to already deal with Juventus or this and that. Who knows? But uh, his days with Inter are done, in my opinion. You know, if, we'll see if he gets on the pitch again for Inter. But um, it's it's not. I mean, the the stuff that Wanda has been, you know, starting and manip- manipulating, and, and they're just it's just a whole chaotic mess right now. And neither of them, neither of the Naras. Uh, they they know what's going on and they're they're just screwing themselves. The more they talk, the more they put out there, the more they make themselves look worse and make the club look much better. So um, uh, there was a time when we were starting to get on Icardi's side. We we're like, oh, he's come back. He's full circle. He's uh, he he's a team player. This and that. He is a team a captain of the future. That's all gone now. It's obviously uh, between these two and their negotiation tactics and what they've said. In the media, it's it's not a good place for them to stay. Even if even if they figure out a deal, I don't think that he should stay there. Because, uh, in my opinion, between what happened earlier with the ultras and the book, and then now this, I think there's no chance that he'll ever be in their in their in their good graces anymore. Stephen, uh, Icardi's not staying at Inter. I, I think we're gonna. I think we're ruling out him returning to Inter after this season. So. You uh, you do, do you do some work with Demarzio. Fill us in. Who who wants this mess? <sighs> who wants this mess? From what I've heard to this date, um, nothing at this point. I, I believe that they are trying their best to keep Icardi, but at the end of the day, we all know what's going to happen. There's so many top clubs out there that would love to have Icardi in their side. He's a prolific scorer. He's in front of goal. Obviously, maybe sometimes when he's not scoring goals, people expect more of him. At the end of the day, he is a, he's a proven goal scorer. Uh, just like Gonzalo Higuain, he's he's kind of bounced back and forth, trying to find a good club for, a good fit for him. Hopefully, he fits at Chelsea. But there's so many other clubs. If Higuain, let's just per se, were to come back uh, to Juventus, maybe he goes somewhere else. Even Real Madrid right now. Would I like to see Icardi there? I'd love to see Icardi on one of the top clubs, similar to uh, Real Madrid or even uh, Chelsea in the long run. But for now, as we kind of just tone off off the uh, January transfer market. Um, it's definitely Inter for the rest of the season. Um, but in terms of the captaincy in, in relation to that, um, similar to what David Amoyal had actually mentioned earlier this week, I believe that Hindanovic should have just been the captain from the start. He's been with them since 2012. He has uh, tons of caps with the club. And personally, I don't feel like Akardi has those traits to be a leader carrying his team forward when the club experiences a bad break. We always see him kind of hanging his head if he doesn't get a goal, if he doesn't perform properly in a game. I, I don't feel like he has a big voice in the locker room compared to these bigger players such as Hendanovic, who's got the age and the seniority on him. So, and all in all, in this huge situation, huge kind of mess that they've created, I believe that he stopped, needs to stop allowing his wife, Wanda, and obviously she's his agent, to control him and just get back on the pitch to support his side because Inter are not, in, in my feel at least, 100% there when he's absent. So I think he just needs to sort this whole issue out, uh, move on with it for the rest of the season, and then come summer, obviously Inter is most likely going to listen to offers um, from top clubs around Europe, um, and we'll see if he moves on or not. All right. Um, anything else, uh, you know, 
I guess as you know, as, as someone that works with Demarzio, and obviously uh, it's a website that that talks a lot about what's going on in the mercato in Serie. Um, we'll we'll finish with this before we turn you loose, and then Richard and I can recap uh, the rest of what's going on. Um, give us your take on January uh, on a scale of one to ten. Uh, what did it you know? Ten being uh, really helped, uh, uh, one being didn't help at all. Uh, you know, what did uh, the Mercato do for Serie A and Italian football? Um, and uh, maybe anything that you're hearing that you might be willing to share with us that, uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if uh, if it goes down in the summer. Uh, in terms of what the transfer market has done, in the, and not even just January, but the past year, it has been huge um, for the Serie A. I'm finally starting to see a lot more people at least in the location I'm from in Toronto, start to talk about the Serie A once again. We're, we're kind of really excited about this, especially with Ronaldo coming to Juventus. We're getting all these rights to be able to watch a bunch of the Serie A games. This is huge for us, considering over the past few years, the Serie A has kind of been disregarded in some aspects. I've continued to watch it through all the way throughout, just especially from being uh, through an Italian or being in an Italian heritage um, with my grandparents across the street. Um, but the transfer market did wonders um, for every club and the league as a whole um, from a marketing perspective to gaining uh, money all the way around with jersey sales and such. Uh, summer and winter this year, it's been terrific. Um, but in terms of the gen- – or not the January transfer market, but the markets moving forward, um, personally myself, I can't really speak on that to an extent. Uh, there hasn't been any rumors to what I've seen. At least um, one thing I can point out um, that is a rumor um, right now, but it could actually be official. But for now, it remains a rumor is that uh, Verratti, after that uh, terrific performance um, against Manchester United, he seems to have actually signed a contract extension until 2024 um, with the French club. Um, But we remain to hear kind of an official statement from that. Um, This was... Uh, source not from Demarzio, but um, outsources um, from Get Italian, or sorry, not Get Italian, Get French Football News. So um, we'll see if this is to be true. Um, the rumor came out just uh, before this podcast. So um, if this is to be true, this is a player who was kind of desired and wanted by several top clubs. Um, he was kind of trying to see if he could make a return back to Italy or maybe even move to Spain. Um, but with Rabio on the move as well, either to England or to Spain, um, recently there's said to be in agreement with Barcelona. We'll see what happens in terms of those two players. So um, for me right now, all eyes on PSG. Um, we'll see what they can do over the transfer market. Um, I, I know the likes of even, we look at their opponents in that Champions League clash, Manchester United. You see how Pogba was, he was it, he was gone if Mourinho was still um, the coach there. So now that he's gone, I think he's going to settle and stay um, personally myself in Manchester, his home. So those are kind of just three players that I can talk about, but to an extent of official deals happening in the summer um, or top rumors, um, there's been nothing on that uh, line. All right. Uh, that's uh, Stephen K. Moore uh, from Di Marzio and founder of Laziali. Um Before we turn you loose, uh, go ahead and give our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and uh, maybe anything that uh, you want to plug that uh, would get their attention. Yeah, so for sure. So like Richard and Frank have mentioned, I am the founder of the underscore Laziali on Twitter. Um, we're on all Lazio English page, kind of bringing together the communities um, from every nation um, or country, I should say, um, in Europe and around the world. Um, so if you guys have not started following us yet on Twitter, it would be greatly appreciated. 
uh, just keep up with news. And if you want to voice your opinion for us or anything culture related, be sure to send us a direct message um, or myself at S underscore K underscore more on Twitter. Um, thank you guys for having me on the show. Oh, anytime. Uh, anytime. Yeah. Thank you. Rich. Thank you, Stephen. Let's have you on again real soon. Absolutely, guys. Okay, Stephen K. Moore joining us from uh, DiMarzio and the Laziale. Richard, uh, let's move on and talk Atalanta Milan. All right, so we, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, I think, the main event in, in, in terms of teams that are playing uh, two teams that are Champions League contenders. Uh, before you get to hang on, hang on. Before you get to that, a couple things here. First of all, Stephen Kmore was great. Yeah. We're going to have him on again. Yeah. Uh, and the transition music is getting a real workout today, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I just thought I'd point that out. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So the so the headliner, at uh, least in my opinion, uh, of this weekend was uh, two teams that are battling for a Champions League spot. That's Atalanta hosting Milan in Bergamo. Uh, obviously, two of the hottest strikers in the league as well with Christoph Piantic and Duvan Zapata. So this was a, certainly a game that we all had our eyes on. We we were wondering, Frank, you know, how these teams would play. We know we know how At- Atalanta are at Bergamo. They beat Juventus in the Copa Italia recently. Uh, they're very very strong at home. And Milan have been uh, they've been pretty strong as of late. As actually, you know, the defense has been pretty stout. So you know, we thought you know this going into this game, it certainly had the, the makings of a draw. But if one of the two teams could figure out a way to win, uh, it would certainly put them in the in the in the driver's seat as far as uh, getting that fourth spot in the Champions League, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was a huge game for both teams. Uh, you know, three points either way. You know, put put either team in a good position. I mean, for Milan, it gives them separation. Uh, you know, from the chasing pack in fourth for Atalanta, they become a real player in this thing. Absolutely, and so the way this, the game it ended, you know, three one in favor of Milan. But the way it turned out, as you're watching the game unravel, was not indicative of the scoreline at all. So the game started out very well. Both teams were pretty even. I, I would think the first half, uh, the first 45 minutes, I thought was some of the best 45 minutes I've seen all season within any of the teams, and that has nothing to do with the Milan bias here. Uh, I thought Lazio and Juventus early in the year was probably the best game until I saw this first half. I mean, this first half had everything. Uh, the Remo Froler goal. Uh, it was a wonderful after a turnover. Uh, Hans Hattabor, uh gets the ball. It gets it to Josip Ilicic. He makes a great move on Ricardo Rodriguez to shake him off, the, shake him off the off the ground. Uh, centers the pass and remember Fuller just a, a powerful shot past Gigi Donnarumma uh, to get the get them the lead one nothing. And um, you know Atalanta had their chances. I mean, just minutes later after their goal, Papu Gomez had an opportunity. Frank, uh, and it, it looked like it was going on net, and he just misses wide, but. You know, Atalanta. You know, while while the team while the game was going pretty pretty even at that point, I thought Atalanta were carving out some great opportunities. Okay. Um, well, first of all, um, if I'm Ricardo Rodriguez on that Atalanta goal, I probably just stay there on the ground for about another ten minutes fake and ponder injury. my exi- ponder my existence <laughs> or fake injuries. Hey, well, I'm, but you know, we'll we'll talk about it later. Thank God he got up, um, and. Uh, I, I've been going back and forth. Do you think that was a Donnarumma howler? It's, I, I think it's harsh because I think he sees it late, um, yeah, the, no, the Froiler th- goal. I think Froiler had so much power on it that it was – I mean, yeah, you you, th- you would like him to get that stop, but the power that was behind the Froiler shot, I think there was nothing he can do about it. Like you said, he saw it late, and so there's always so much he can do. And it, he gets down He gets down pretty fast uh, as for a big guy, and he, you know, it's just so much – there's only so much you can do when a powerful shot goes like that. 
um, as as Freumer, Freuler shot it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was just one of the things that I had been wrestling, um, going back and forth. So um, I just I, I looked at it and I just said, you know, I I want to say this is a howler, but at the same time, I think that there was enough power on it. And yeah, as you mentioned, I think you know Donald did well to get a glove to it. If if we want to really be picky, he probably could have got up and acted a little quicker, but. Um, we're also talking about a guy that's six foot five, and when he hits the ground, that's a that's that's a lot of body to try to get up and react real quick. So, no, it certainly is. And like I said, Atalanta nearly scored again to make it two nothing, and and unfortunately that proved a, a big moment in the game. Uh, but even a bigger moment happened just a couple minutes after that. And the man you kind of just referenced, Ricardo Rodriguez, he kind of got embarrassed on the Froiler goal, uh, totally on his ass, you know, getting getting his uh, ankles broken by Josip Ilicic. Well. Uh, some nice, you know, breakout play by Milan. It started with Donnarumma. I uh, went to Ricardo Rodriguez, and um, it went through a couple of players, and eventually got to Ricardo Rodriguez um, on the left wing. And you know, he just crossed the mid- midpoint line. He says, "You know what? I'm gonna have a go." And he, a wonderful cross, Frank, uh, into the box. But even better was the movement by Piantic, and then he gets on of it with a wonderful goal, probably goal of the weekend in my opinion. Uh, was like a no look shot, uh, far corner. Great, great goal all the way around, but Ricardo Rodriguez uh, um, gets one back, and then uh, Milan get on the board just at the just at the bell uh, in the 46th minute and the one minute of stoppage time. Uh, great goal, great team play by Milan overall. <laughs> Where do I go with this? Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, my son watched the game with me yesterday, and uh, I nearly grabbed him and threw him up against the couch after that goal got scored. <laughs> And I would have gotten in, gotten in all sorts of trouble for abusing my kid, <laughs> but um, that was just everything about that goal was world class. I mean, and and I don't want to get ahead of myself and call Piantek a world class striker, but you know what? He has world class strikers' instincts. He's not a world class striker yet. He's his on an movement, incredible his movement. Is exactly. Ridiculous. He's he is for twenty three years old to be that instinctive, and that's something that I talked about. You know, on the goal against Roma, and that's something that I shared with some friends. And I just, I, I showed the video to a friend of mine, and I said, just watch Piantek on the goal, okay? Don't watch what's going on with the ball. Watch Piantek, and he just, he has, he has instincts that there are strikers out there that are 28, 29, 30 years old. They've been doing this for a long, long time. That don't have anything remotely close to that in those instincts. You know, if that's Gonzalo Higuain still playing for Milan, he's not chasing that down. So, no, and so. You know, it's you know, and I'm, and I'm probably overstating and I'm over over dramatizing it, but that is the goal of the week. Um, my son begged me not to make that the goal of the week. He's a Dybala like is his favorite. Like well, yeah, he's Dybala is his favorite player, and Dybala scored a cracker, and he wanted Dybala to be the goal of the week. And I said to him, I said, it's my podcast. When you grow up, you can have a podcast, and you can make Dybala your goal of the week. <laughs> but this is the goal of the week. That is a that is a forty five yard cross about pinpoint, and that is practically a no look goal, um, and just the the not only the run but the skill that's required to finish like that is is just amazing. What this this what this guy is I I'm still I I don't I yell at everybody that goes on Twitter and says he's the new Shevchenko because I don't want to go there yet. Shevchenko was. The, was the elite of the elite, yeah. you know, up there with R nine, 
And if he would have been on a major national team that was winning major major international trophies, he'd be an awful lot more recognized as a striker. He's there's he's not there yet. Give this guy let's let's get let's give this guy his own space to make his own mark. But boy, what a start Piontek is off to. I mean, you kind of mentioned you know Shevchenko. Some of his teammates, even Bakayoko, and some of the other guys are starting to call him Sheva now. And uh, well, yeah, we're not. It's too soon to call him that. But yeah, he's already. I mean, he's got the most. He's the quickest to score six goals uh, for Milan in history, I think. So I mean, that he's he's got the reputation to start, but he's got to build on it, like and have many seasons of it, kind of like Shevchenko does. So it's way too soon to call him anything like that. But uh, they go into halftime one-one off that amazing goal. It certainly probably changed the, the team talk by Gattuso, no doubt about it. Um, well, I mean, let me cut in on that because Atalanta were, you know, and Milan produced some chances. Cassie should have, Cassie should have yeah, done better with, with his header early on in the game. And I've been, I've been a Cassie apologist and defender as I was last week. You know, that one, he yeah, said, okay, yeah, he should have scored. Um, but Atalanta had more of the ball, had more of the chances, and at 1-0, uh, Exactly to your point. Um, there's some concern going into the going into the dressing room. If you're going into that dressing room down one nil with Atalanta in control the way they were, yeah. I mean, with the, with the attacking power they have. I mean, Duvan Zapata was hardly mentioned in that first half, and and that's how good Atalanta were. So you know he was going to come into the game if if that scoreline remained. And um, luckily for Milan, they got that goal late, uh, and it, it changed things. That was the, the big momentum change in the game, I believe, because not only. You know, Milan go go up boosted into halftime. Atalanta and I sitting back like, what the heck? We just we just you know play their ass off. Uh, we we dominated them, and what do we show for it? Nothing. It's one one. You know, so um, they come out in the second half, and much the same to start the second half. Uh, a guy that you know many people have been criticizing this year, Hakan Chalonolu, uh He turns up and turns up in a big way. Frank, this is a another goal of the week candidate. Uh, there was a a play where and I forget who it was. I might have been Ricardo Rodriguez or someone. Tried to try to get it in. Hot the board with a stupid clearance. Uh, he he hits it right to Hakan Cholonolu. Uh He does one touch to settle the ball and powers it past uh, Barisha. No no chance he's going to stop it. What a wonderful goal by him! And he goes running and celebrates with the bench. Uh, his first goal of the season, but um, is. Uh, I want to say that's a redeeming goal for him because you know he's shutting everybody up who's been talking about him. But this is what he can bring to the table, right? He's got the power. He's got the shot. He doesn't have the speed, no. But that's not what his game is. His game is about hard shots like that and 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 free kicks. So uh, I was thrilled to see him score that goal. How about you, Frank? I'm I'm a little disappointed because I'm looking through the game recap and I'm looking through the you know the scoring list on this game and I see Hakan Chalhanolu scored the goal. I don't see assist Frank Crivello. Because <laughs> I went on a rant last week backing this guy, and I thought maybe he listened to our podcast. Because man, I mean, Piontek's going to get all the plaudits for the brace, but Chalhanoglu was a boss, especially in the second half. He was outstanding in this game, and he deserved that goal. Uh, he, he's deserved that goal for a long time now, and I'm and I'm glad he got it. <laughs> I think. I, I I said something rather expletive on Twitter to the rest of Milan Twitter uh, in regard to Chalhanolu after he scored that goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, that meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to the team. I think it showed it showed the kind of manager that Gattuso is to continue to put his faith in him and say, hey, he's going to come good now. Now, what I hope is that this is the beginning. You know, we always talk about this, and we've said this a few times before on Serie A Sit Down. 
the first goal can sometimes be miles away, you know, when things aren't going right for you or you're pressing and you're trying to make things right and so forth. But once that, once you get that first goal after, you know, after journeying so many miles to get it, the next one might just be a block away by comparison. Yeah, and uh, this, this could certainly open the open the floodgates here, and he could see more goals and more assists coming from him. Uh, confidence is a, is a wonderful thing, and sometimes it's a damning thing. But um, uh, with that goal, that's sure sure to boost his confidence and the team's confidence in him, and uh, hopefully the fans as well will follow suit. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna compare this goal to a a a boxer right so when, when a boxer throws a punch a guy gets knocked down gets back up and he's still a little woozy right that's atalanta at this point right and just a few minutes later after the chalanolu goal piantic as you so mentioned uh, gets his brace a, a powerful header i mean he wanted that ball more than anybody else and he ran through four guys to get it uh he gets the goal 3-1 from milan uh that's how they would win the game but more than anything, once that goal went in, it, it knocked the win out of Atalanta's game whatsoever. They had no, no, they couldn't even muster up anything else after that. It was just uh, the blow that they weren't looking for, and that's impressive. It's impressive win for Milan on the road. Yeah, I, outstanding win for Milan um, at Senza B. Uh, very interesting character among the Milan Twitter crowd. <laughs> I think he tweeted. He said, "This is the team that beat Juve three 0 and Inter four one, right?" <laughs> Just and I just yeah. I, I saw that tweet and that just made me laugh. Uh, but um, you know, it was a resourceful win. I mean, uh, let's not you know, Milan aren't going out there and killing people with possession. This was where they took advantage of their chances. They had three shots on target and they scored three goals. Yep. Okay. So you know they they went and played uh, Reno ball. Um, as 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 Lisi put it on Twitter, where it doesn't get pretty, and it was kind of funny because last week they they had overwhelming possession against Cagliari. They won three nil. You know, Nima, uh, our friend Nima said, "Boy, it's good to see Milan attack with with fluidity." And I, I said to him, "I said they're playing Cagliari. Everybody plays Cagliari. Everybody can attack Cagliari with fluidity." What? And I said to him, "I said we get back to the derby. Milan are going back into a bunker." You know, so and and they had you know they go into a bunker, but you can't blame them when you go to Atalanta because of the way they play. Yeah. So you know the tactics here are right when, because if you leave space for Papu Gomez, uh, Josip Ilicic, and Duvan Zapata with the form that they're in, are you kidding me? They you know there's there's four goals before you even blink. So you know. Gattuso got this right from a tactical standpoint. It might not have been pretty, and it might have made it might have aggravated some Milan fans, especially in the first half. But in the end, they came through, um, and they took they made use of their chances when they got them. This is this was a this is a very critical three points. And again, we've we've talked about grow. We've talked about Milan having grow up games. They had a grow up game at home against Napoli in nil nil win. They had another grow up game when they beat them in the Copa. This is another growth game. You know, for this Milan group who's still relatively young, so um, I I made the comment after this win. I think they're back because this is this is a you take a result like this, and it should only propel you all the way forward. Hopefully, that's the case. We've seen one of two things happen after a result like this, after a run like this. Either you peaked, and you're going to regress, which scares the hell out of me, um, or it's you're back and 
you're at a very you're at a very high level. You're at a very confident level, and you're very very hard to beat. So let's hope it's the latter with Milan at this point. Well, last season we thought uh, they went on a, an impressive streak, and we thought, hey, they're back. And no, it just that they peaked, and then they came crashing down. But where I think this is different this time is they actually have a striker, a bona fide striker, not one that's has done it before, one that's in the present. Uh, who is feeling the game, has the instincts going off, uh, is having a tremendous season. Uh, that's something they haven't had since the Ebro days, and that makes them dangerous. And I think because of that, that they are back. And I'm going to, you know, last week I said that of Interfalter again that the, the, the third position is going to be in play. And after this victory, I don't care what Inter is doing. I think the third position is in play. Uh, that was an impressive win by by Milan on the road, and yet you know the derby is still far, still a month away. Anything could happen, and and, and if they they bunker up and and play the way they did in the first uh, uh, derby della Madonnina, then it's going to be um you know they're going to be pulling away Inter are. But uh, as of right now, I think this Milan is back, like you're saying, because because of the striker, they haven't had that before. And they got a playmaker now in the midfield who can just do magic stuff with the ball. And I'm talking, of course, about Lucas Paqueta. So. Uh, great win by them, I think overall. And uh, it, how, how, if you're Atalanta, how do you look at this game? You know, you started with a great goal in the in the, in the first half. You're dominated. You dominated pretty much the whole game, uh, but you know, you gave up three chances that were clinically finished. So is this a is this a bad three points that you lost, or just one that you say, hey, you know what? We'll grow from this. Uh, we could have done better. We gave them a couple opportunities, and we should tighten up next time. It was interesting because um, I. You know, you know, Chloe Beresford had made the comment about Atalanta being a real top four contender, um, you know, in the middle of the week. And then the point that I made, you know, in response to that was, is that it's going to be really fun to see them push for this. The concern that I have is that that defense is just weak enough to keep them out. And it um, showed. It showed. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it, these aren't, these aren't brand name defenders. And and when you look at Atalanta as a whole, and you look at them on the season right now, to play 24 and have conceded 34, um, you know, and for a, the top six, that's the most uh, Roma following that with 30. I mean, and in fact, when you take a look at the top 10, Atalanta have conceded the most goals of all teams in the top 10. So that's where it worries me. Um, going forward, they can go forward in bunches and they can score in bunches. Um, you know, you look at the statistics on Alejandro Gomez, and granted, he was substituted um, uh, rather pedestrian uh, by his standards. Um, you know, Zapata, Zapata struggled uh, to make a real impact on this game. I think he he was cool. Up, play- he was cool bullied by Musacchio and Romagnoli. <laughs> oh, careful, careful, careful. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't go so far to say that. I think he had a little bit of influence. I mean, I think his hold-up play was pretty good, but he couldn't get in any positions where he could be, where he could be dangerous. And 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 part of that was Atalanta, on on top of it, had a relatively hard time finding him. I mean, he had a very poor mark. He had two blocked shots in this game, and that's really the impact that he had, um, and didn't do much else beyond that. So, you know, it certainly wasn't his finest hour. Um, uh, you know, Froehler obviously was good and scored the goal. Uh, but, you know, you still have some pieces if you're Atalanta. And top six is certainly not out of the question. I, I did, the, the defense is just not there to get them into the top four. And, uh, you know, they've got, you know, the, the attack is there to, to certainly bother everybody. You ask Roma because Roma thought they were cruising against them and Atalanta came from behind. Uh, ask Inter. Um, ask Juve. So, 
you know, and, and ask Milan because it would the, the reverse fixture at the San Siro was 2-2. Um, but the defending is, you know, just weak enough. And I think they're they're feeling the effects of losing guys like Mattia Caldara and Spinazzola, you know, and guys that had kind of been mainstays for the last couple of seasons. It, it, you know, it's starting to show a little bit. There's a little bit of inconsistency, a little lack of cohesion, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's coming back to haunt them. And it's a shame because Gasparini's been amazing with this team, too. Yeah, I know he certainly has, and um, you got you feel for them a little bit, but you know they, they will recover. They are a strong team, and I and I think that they are uh, still you know contenders for that Champions League spot. We'll see how the rest of the season goes and um, how they how they handle both the Coppa, Coppa Italia and then the remainder of the season. We saw in the past when they've had a fixture pile up uh, Europa League to consider that they they struggled. So let's see if they can handle a little bit better going forward and. Um, here's hoping that they can still uh, contend and maybe push the push the top four or at least the the, the two teams in the Champions League spot. Now, if they can keep, continue pushing them, we should have a fantastic finish in that race. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. If they can improve the defending, they'll they'll be a player. But I just I don't see, you know, I don't see the guys. I mean, they they brought out uh, uh, Toloi, Jim Shiti, and uh, um, boy, who's the guy that was Palomino. on the left? Palomino, yes, thank you. You know, and they got Mancini who who has a role in there, so they've got a rotation out of those guys. You know, the the wing backs defensively don't give you much. They cross the ball well and they get involved in the attack. It was uh Hatabor and Castan, and then you Gozen's coming on as a substitute. You know, and Deron and Freuler are tasked with a lot of running. Uh, and eventually they just eventually just they they get pulled apart because you're not depending on Gomez to come back and help. You're not depending on Ilicic to come back and help. You guys, but he wants to leave those guys high, so that when they got the ball, they can go forward and start doing some damage. So, um, I just I don't think Atalanta will tighten up just based on who they are and based on their identity. And I think that that will keep them out of the top four. I don't think it'll keep them out of the top six. I still think that's attainable, and I think they can hit the Europa League. But um, I, I I don't think they have the defense to finish top four. So they're like, uh, as Steven said, they're Lazio of uh, 2018, 2019. Sure, sure. That's that's a, that's that's perfectly fair to say about them. So, so all right. So Atalanta Milan is in the books. A very exciting game, especially if you are a uh, Milan supporter like Richard and myself. Uh, let's move on and batch the rest of match week 24. All right. Well, the action actually ended up starting on Friday uh, on Match Week 24, Richard. Uh, Juventus uh, getting an earlier start uh, to the slate so that they can have the uh, the ample rest to prepare uh, for that big Champions League tilt with Atletico Madrid in Spain. Uh, they got to play Frosinone, so it was basically like a training exercise for them. Um, <laughs> And uh, they did not waste a whole lot of time here. They ended up winning 3-0. And in the sixth minute, it was Paulo Dybala from Cristiano Ronaldo, a goal of the week contender, um, putting the Bianconeri in front. In the 17th minute, uh, it was thought that maybe Sammy Cadira scored, but uh, Leonardo Benucci pulled a dick move on him and took the ball. <laughs> he basically poked it with his toe into the net before Cadira could get his head on it. So Benucci gets credit for the goal. They actually gave Kadir the assist. That's just weird how that happened. Um, felt bad but for him. No, what's that? They <laughs> felt bad for him, a, so they gave him an assist. It's a, it's a pity assist, right? Where's my pity assist for Chalanolu? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
anyway, so uh, so so Bonucci uh, puts him up two nil, and that's how the beat would be at halftime. Cristiano Ronaldo would make it three nil uh, on a ball in from Mario Mandzukic, and um, uh, the the goal ends three nil. The real storyline here, Richard, is that uh, DiBala and Ronaldo have uh, have matching celebrations, and uh, it's the start of a bromance uh, that's making the rest of us gag yeah their bromance has taken off and they've combined their two celebrations so the dabala mask and ronaldo's douchebag celebration what i sorry i forgot what it's called um but they combined it now they both do it and it's so cute out there uh, we're gonna get in so much trouble <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i don't know what to say to that richard <laughs> i mean it's straightforward it's, it's juve at home against frozenoni you know what was going to happen and and you know it seems it's almost as if allegri doesn't want to score more than three goals in any match yeah it, it doesn't seem you've never seen juventus do that um and i'm i guess it's him trying to be respectful to the other other teams i don't know but um yeah you, every time they get that third goal they just they don't score anymore they shut up shop and make sure they get away with the shutout or whatever the scoreline is at that point Absolutely. So Juve uh, continue to uh, run riot in Serie A, uh, you know, and extend their lead, um, which we'll talk about here when we get to the standings. Uh, uh, Saturday, the action actually began prior to Atalanta Milan. Cagliari taking on Parma, a big game um, for Cagliari in terms of uh, trying to establish some survival uh, in Serie A. Everything in the bottom half of the table, getting quite interesting. Parma would get on the board first. Juric Kuchka in the 40th minute. Uh, um, nothing says, you know, we talked about Milan banter era last week with uh, uh, Mihailovic managing Bologna and Poli to Destro. Uh, Kuchka is as banter era as they get with Milan. He scores to put Parma ahead uh, before halftime. Uh, and then uh, Cagliari would equalize in the 65th minute. It would be through Pavoletti, uh, one that he kind of just bumbled into the net uh, to make it 1-1. And then in the 85th, he would uh, get a much nicer goal, um, not goal of the week worthy, uh, but uh, one that would be very important to the Sardinians nonetheless and put uh, Cagliari ahead 2-1 over Parma. Um, an interesting uh, only other storyline from this, Joao Pedro uh, committed a foul that earned him a yellow card, and then Joao Pedro didn't like that, said something about the referee's mama, uh, so that earned him a second yellow and got him promptly sent off. Uh, so... Uh, but uh, didn't impact the result of the game. Cagliari able to see through the 2-1 win. Uh, another team, Richard, that need to continue to accumulate points to try to get some separation from the bottom three. This is a big win for Cagliari. Oh, it most certainly is. And then, and you know, also for them to go down one nothing and continue fighting on, and you know, led by Pavoletti, uh, that's a, that's a that's a great win by them. And uh, you you hope they keep getting wins like this to keep getting further and further from the relegation zone because. Uh, they need to be in Syria because they make it so much harder to play when when teams come to them. Um, they're really good at home. They just need to find that way to get that that uh, that recipe on the road. But yeah, no, Calgary is a fun team. They got some good players on their team, and um, uh, Parma. They uh, on the other hand, they uh, they have some soul searching to do because while they started out the season very hot, they're now they're starting to dwindle, and teams are starting to figure them out, and they're starting to come back to that. Um, they're dropping, dropping further down the table as the season goes. You, you read my mind on my next question. I mean, one point from their last four games, are the wheels falling off a little bit with them? I think it's a little bit of a, a, a lull. Uh, you know, it's mid-season, it's a long season, and maybe at this point they're, they just got to regroup and try to get back to some of that magic. I mean, if you could get back to relying on Inglese and Gervinho, I think you'll be fine. It just, they kind of, 
maybe they got too cocky themselves that they're so and so well. They're like, oh, we're better than we are. Um, they need to come back to reality, get some get some good trainings in, and and really end the season on a strong note because I, I think they're a good team. Uh, I don't think they're a relegation team by any stretch. Uh, they just need to get back to what got them to where they are. They, you know, stop thinking that they're you know Europa League contenders now. There's just you know play play the way you've been playing all season. You know, give the ball to Gervinho and and Inglese and you should be good. Listeners on this next one, get yourself a nice Chianti or a, a Sangiovese or a, or a, or a Brunello, uh, something from the Tuscan region, and sit back and sit back and just listen to this one because we've got stories. Uh, Spall hosting Fiorentina. Um, it op- opening the scoring was uh, Andrea Petania. Uh, apparently, he's got something going on recently where uh, the more goals he scores, the more pies they're going to give him. Uh, so he gives Spall the lead. He's he's getting he, 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 honestly he's he's fatter this week than he was last week, Richard. I'm telling you, man, the pasta is good in Ferrara. Uh, apparently, I got to get out to Ferrara. Uh, that, that I'll tell you. I'll tell you guys who's not welcome in Ferrara anymore. That referee, and then also maybe the VAR guy. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. And Milson Fernandez equalized just before halftime, but that was not the story. Um, this game was one-one and maybe headed to one-one. And then an incident, uh, you know, in the late seventies uh, in terms of minutes of the game. Let's just call it that. Um, Chie- uh, Fiorentina get on a counterattack. Chiesa gets the ball to the end line. Um, tries to pull the ball back and goes down. Now, this is right along the end line in the penalty area. Goes down. Uh, the referee says nothing wrong with it. Play on. Spall go the other way uh, and uh, get a counterattack. And Mattia Velotti scores to put Spall ahead 2-1. Runs over to the ball boy. And this is where Matteo Benetti cracks me up because <laughs> he thought that it was Matteo Velotti's son. You know how old Matteo Velotti is? So Matteo Velotti had to be 12 to have that boy because that boy looked at least 10. <laughs> Or eleven, <laughs> and it just weird things go on in Italy. So <laughs> I guess, yeah. But so this, I mean, can you imagine? So I mean, just the backdrop. This boy, this ball boy, he watches the ball players. They're like the heroes to him. So he's celebrating the goal, and he's got the team huddled around him, and all this other. Th- no, hold on, we got to go to the AR. <laughs> so. We got to go to VAR and we got to have a look. They went all the way back and looked at what happened with the incident with Chiesa. Uh, the defender makes a challenge and puts a cleat, puts his cleats into Chiesa's ankle. It is very clear. It is it is definitely a foul, definitely an offense. It's a matter of does the referee want to get out of Ferrara alive or not? So, um, but he does the right thing, in my opinion, Richard. Uh, disallows the goal um, and awards Fiorentina a penalty that Jordan Veratu would convert and put Fiorentina uh, ahead to one. And at that point, Spall was in DGAF mode uh, because a minute later, Giovanni Simeone on a counterattack, uh, buries one to make it 3-1, and then Spall just very careless in possession in the 88th, giving a cheap one away to Gerson, who would finish in the 88th. 4-1 to Fiorentina. That poor ball boy, Richard. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this was a crazy game, and in particular that sequence that you mentioned. Um, this is why they had VIR in the league, and, this, and it, it came out correct. That was a correct call, as harsh as it was for Spall. Uh, ultimately, that was a correct call, and <laughs> you would think this happened more often, right? It, uh, something gets missed on one end, it goes on the other end, and the other team scores, and it doesn't happen as often as we think it should, but. Um, this is a perfect case is why VAR was installed. You know, you, you want video evidence. 
uh, for plays that re- the referee makes. Had this, you know, had VAR not been instilled, it would be a goal for Spal, and who knows how the game would have ended, right? Uh, it would have been two-two at that point, and it, for all we know, the game would have ended in a draw, or maybe Spal pulled out a victory. We don't know, but you know, they got the call right, uh, and Fiorentina were able to capitalize going forward on that, and with wonderful goals for uh, to extend the lead, and it really boosted one team and, and deflated another. So, um, great win for Fiorentina. Uh, like you like you mentioned, but Spal, uh, it was hard done. It's a correct call, but it was it was very very harsh call for them. So, yeah, uh, very very harsh indeed. And Fiorentina, you know, they're not going to apologize for the three points they just got. They're trying to fight for a European place, so they absolutely needed this. Uh, so they're in eighth on thirty five points. Spal on twenty two points. It's it's getting a little uncomfortable for them. Yeah, and it, you know we we kind of thought that maybe this, you know we know this team has a lot of fight in them, so uh, but fight only gets you so much, right? You know, you have to get the wins, you have to get the points, and as good as as good as a fight they put up each week, if you don't get the results, you're going to be in that relegation talk, and that's where they are now. You know, it's a team that has some quality to them. There's a couple guys there that you know you're really pulling for, you're cheering for, but um, yeah, it's, they're not getting the results that they need. You know. They started out the season very well with a lot of assist, a lot of draws, excuse me, but now they're starting to come back to reality. You're starting to dry up the the well. The scoring is not there. Uh, they can't hold, keep goals from coming getting conceded. So uh, it's tough times for them. They gotta they're gonna have to regroup as well and and, and try to find a way to end this season on a good note because otherwise they're gonna be one of the teams relegated this season and a team with such a good story and uh, great jerseys. It's, it'll be unfortunate for them to, for for fans or neutral fans to see them go. Uh, injury of note for Spall. It's going to make it even harder for the men while it's already left the game in the 13th minute. We don't know the extent of the injury or if he'll be out for an extended amount of time, but uh, that is uh, an injury of note that came from this game. So even harder for Spall in terms of their survival hopes. Uh, safe for now, but uh, got some work to do to try to uh, secure that secure their place in City on next season. Um well, I mean, if you're enjoying the Tuscan wine and you're 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 a supporter of Tuscan football, enjoy it a little longer. We'll talk Empoli uh, because uh, they hammer Sassuolo, uh, Richard, by three goals to nil. Uh, Rade Krinic with a beauty uh, in the 34th. Uh, goal of the week contender, in, uh, in our opinion. Uh, Afri Aqua scoring in the 37th minute. And then another goal of the week contender for Empoli, Diego Farias, in the 60th minute. Um Wow, I, I, you know, we talk about the wheels falling off with Parma. They might be falling off at Sassuolo too. Yeah, if Empoli played Sassuolo every week, they'd be uh, Scudetto contenders. Uh, Empoli has moments of brilliance in this season. They they show that they can they have the flair offensively. Just defensively is what the problem with them is. But Sassuolo, man, the wheels came off completely. And this is not a win or a loss that I was totally expecting at all. I thought they should have won this game convincingly going into this and. Uh, Empoli looked like that the, they were a top half team compared to Sassuolo. I mean, just the fluidity in their passes. I mean, one touch, two touch. Uh, it was really, really great to see. And Sassuolo just had no answers. Bubukar, uh, he had he had a couple of chances where he went for because the, the rest of the team was uh, not holding their weight. But yeah, I don't. It's very um, unsettling if you're a Sassuolo fan because you know, again, this is another team like like Parma who started the season so well. And now are just slowly going down the table, and 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 you can't beat Empoli. You can't score a goal in Empoli and get get throttled like they did. Uh, that's not a good sign for them. No, not at all. Um, uh, but, but Empoli, it's three big points that we said. Sassuolo, uh, 
it's i mean this asshole is not in any trouble anytime soon but uh it was uh it, it was just a game they didn't even show up um you know, really disappointing on the part of the Nero Verdi. I mean, they they dominated the possession. They got some shots, but nothing that really troubled um, uh, Empoli's goalkeepers. So, uh, and who was in goal for Empoli? Uh, Dragowski. Uh, yeah, yeah, the youngster. Yeah, Dragowski playing in goal. So he wasn't really he wasn't terribly bothered in this game. Uh, you know, by Sassuolo. So, uh, big win for Empoli. Uh, Sassuolo uh, in a little bit of a slump now as well. Um, other games here: Udinese one 0 over Calcio or Calcio, Chievo. <laughs> I'm going too fast. Chievo does nothing. Plays nothing that resembles Calcio. Uh, so there's a little irony in what I just said there, so excuse me. Uh, but Udinese beats Kievo by a goal to nil. It was Teodorczyk in the 85th minute. It was a He actually uh, missed a penalty uh, that the goalkeeper deflected, and I think it went straight back to Teodorczyk, who finished. Uh, so that was the only goal scoring there. Um, you know, Kievo is what they are, Kievo is what they are, and Udinese gets, uh, you know, like Empoli, this is three big points to just try to keep the breathing room from uh, from Bologna coming after him. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, I mean, what, yeah, we don't have to say any more about no, this game, do I mean, we? No, it's, I mean it's, this is just. Kievo had, tw- but look at this. I mean, Kievo out sh- twenty-two shots with seven on target. Um, you know, so, you know, not only did Musso have a clean sheet, he had seven saves, you know, he so good so, saves in the game. He did have some good saves in that game. I'll yeah. That. So, and I mean, for the second straight week, um, Kiev was all over an opponent's goal and has chances and can't put it away. Uh, you know, cause they were, I mean, they were rather, re- they were relatively dangerous against Roma going forward too. Roma just, Roma just put him away early. Um, but, uh, I mean, Kiev was going down, but I mean, just, when you when you scratch the surface a little bit, at least they're not going down without a fight. You know, um, they're showing they're showing some fight. They're showing some some competitiveness, which is what you want to see out of a team that's in their position. Because I, and I guess some of it is is well, what else are they going to do? So, um, but you know, Udinese scratches this one out. They get a win in the 85th minute again from Tate. Um, where's he been? Because he. On the he, he was playing for. <laughs> I, well, I guess I, well, Kevin Lasagna is obviously preferred. But Teodorczyk had a nice uh, little career going, at least at Anderlecht, uh, before he came over. So, interesting, interesting one there. But uh, he gets he gets the call and, and goes in and gets a goal after after missing a penalty. So he kind of sp- spares his own blushes. Udinese won Kievo nil, and that's um, whatever time we spent on that. Um, it w- on on that game was way too long. Um, <laughs> yes, in, Inter and Sampdoria. Um, the good news for Inter is that this was a home game for them. Sampdoria just awful away, and that continued. Um, Inter uh, looked pretty good in this game, Richard, uh, you know, from the chances that they had. Uh, Sampdoria had a little bit more possession, um, tried to create a number of chances on their own. It would be in the 73rd minute of goal by Danilo Di Ambrosio uh, on a cross from Ivan Perisic to put Inter ahead by a goal to nil. Uh, just two minutes late. I mean, all you need to do if you really, if you if you're, DVR this game and you don't want to watch the whole thing, just watch minute 73 to minute 78 because that's where all the goals were. Um, Gabbiadini equalized for Sampdoria, your boy Gabbiadini, um, in the 75th minute um, uh, to make it 1-1. And then uh, uh, Rajan Einvalon, uh, you know, trying to repay some of that uh, transfer fee, uh, getting in and scoring 
for the Neratsuri, putting away the winner. Um, personally, for me, and I'm not trying to be anti-intern, I'm not trying to flex my Milan bias, but just watching that goal get scored, Richard, that's something. That's that's one Aldero should have done a lot better with. Yeah, yeah, it should have. But uh, I thought overall, I thought Nangolan had a pretty good game. Uh, he had a really great opportunity in the first half that he missed. Um, so, you know, yeah, well, Ardura should definitely got to save that, save that opportunity. But uh, overall, I think, you know, Nangolan deserved a goal in the game. He, he has been playing well lately. Um, I, he, I know he, I heard him say that, you know, his partying days are behind him now, I guess. Once he left Roma, it worked at Roma, but you know, the Inter doesn't work at all. He saw his, uh, sees the kind of shit show it is, and he has to actually get his game on point. So um, he's kind of restructured his game now, and it's starting to show over the last uh, few weeks. And I think now with the new Latura Martinez-led Inter, uh, Nyangolan's going to be important for them going forward if he continues, if he continues to perform like this and get better to what we, we saw from him at, at Roma. Then uh, Inter can be... Um, a, a very tough team to play. They've always been, but uh, they've never had that 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 oomph in the middle of the in the midfield. And Nangolan can certainly bring that. But yeah, to go back to what you were saying, Aduro, who is a good, really good goalkeeper, uh, that's probably one he wanted back, no doubt about it. For sure. And uh, we talked up Ivan Perisic last week in his performance at Parma, and I think he was even better today. Oh yeah, uh, he's he's another guy who we want to um, regain some of that magic he had. Yeah, he had what we talked about last week is maybe a little bit of the World Cup hangover, and it's starting to show these last couple in you know, last couple games or so. He's starting to get back to it, right? He's getting opportunities again. He's getting uh, he's getting open. He's creating passes uh, on the first goal. Uh, he did some great work down in the corner to get uh, to get past the defender, crosses it in, and then uh, D'Ambrosio scores the goal. So. Uh, his work ethic is starting to get there again, and his legs are back. So um, he shook off the World Cup rust finally, and uh, this is going to be good things going forward for Inter as ter- in terms of scoring goals because uh, they need this guy. Yeah, they needed Icardi as well, but Perisic, yeah, he's also pivotal as well. He can shoot with left and right. Um, he he can do a, a versatile ma- amount of things, and uh, going forward, if Inter are going to make a, a real splash and keep that third spot, it's going to be guys like Perisic are going to help him do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, good to see him getting rounding back into form and putting in a couple of good performances here. I think he also played pretty well in the Europa League game against Rapid Bean, it has to be said. So nine games, we'll get to the ninth game, Richard. 25 goals after eight games, Napoli to you know, the nightcap. You would have thought we probably could have gotten to about 27 or 28 after that game, right? Should have, but uh, yeah, things don't always pan out the way we we want them. Right, that's Calcio for you, right? You got to watch to to find out what happens because uh, we can we can't always predict the uh, the score lines. No, not at all. A certain Salvatore Sirigu made sure uh, that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, nine saves for the Torino goalkeeper in a nil-nil draw. A hard-earned point for Torino. We keep saying this, Torino. Torino are the defense that Atalanta wished they had. Yeah, if they were both, if they combined their teams, it could be a a Scudetto challenger. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. They, you know, I mean, and we keep talking about it with Torino. I mean, they're they're top ten without Belotti, you know, being as 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 dangerous as he should. And Torino, out of the top ten, are joint fourth on goals against with twenty two with uh, with Milan uh, through twenty four games. Only the top three have conceded less. Uh, so the, the defending is there. 
the attack going forward, there's clearly enough to to make things happen. Uh, De Silvestri had a nice game in particular um, uh, for Torino going forward and creating some crosses. And Belotti had his influence. Uh, he got off a couple of shots. Uh, he was a handful for the for the opponents. Got fouled a couple times. I mean, Koulibaly still did his job against him. Um, you know, but then for for Napoli going the other way, um, you know, Milik trying to take. Milik had four shots on target in this game. You count on him to score at least one of those on any other day. Uh, Insigne was didn't see a shot he didn't like uh, throughout the game. Uh, Kevin Malqui going forward had another great game. Um, you know, so I don't think Ancelotti is going to be too discouraged from the performance. Just going to be disappointed with the result. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they had they had several several opportunities in this game and. As you said, Sirigu was just uh, playing out of his mind. It was, it was, he had it on his mind that he was not going to give up any goals, and he, did, he certainly did not. And uh, it wasn't that like Napoli didn't try or they played they played poorly. No, they played really well. They had a lot of quality opportunities. And Signe, and Signe Milik left a lot on the table there with with surefire goals that in, in any other game they probably would have scored. But uh, in, the, in this game in particular, it just uh, Sirigu was up to the task. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a good result. Good performance, bad result, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, quick review of or quick preview: uh, Roma, Bologna. Not a done deal for Roma. I mean, Bologna getting out to a pretty good start here under uh, Sinisa Mihailovic with a win and a draw. The win at Inter uh, by a goal to nil. Roma, naive, Roma's just naive enough defensively for Bologna to to do something and make this interesting, aren't they? Yeah, and and we saw that Porto game too, right? They they had they, they get two wonderful goals, and then all of a sudden they give a, a goal out of nowhere. So Roma are Roma are capable of that certainly, and they are they are obviously uh, rejoicing under um, get backing you know EDF, and and obviously the results have showed showed really well for them. But they still have they still the same Roma. They're still led by final loss in the back. So. Uh, anything is possible back there, and Bologna, like you said, with under Mihalovic, they they're a different team now. They showed a lot more fight, and do not count out a Mihalovic team uh, against a team like Roma because he's done it in the past, and he can and he's certainly do this. They certainly got the players to do it. Uh, uh, a strong squad he has, and I think that uh, Bologna will put up a good fight against Roma. For sure, um, bit of a narrative game for Lukas Skorupski. Um yeah. You know, playing playing against the club that used to own him, he's going to want to go out and prove himself. Um, I, I I think we'll see Santander starting up front for Bologna. I don't think they'll uh, I don't think they'll uh, bring Destro out. I won't see we won't see Destro getting into this raging run of form all of a sudden just because he had a goal hit the top of his head last week. Um, you know, but uh, you know, you look at Bologna's lineup and they can put up a fight there at the Olimpico and. And Roma's going to have to be careful. I think, you know, Roma, we know what we're going to get with them. We're going to get El Shadawi, Jekko, Zaniolo up front. Um, you know, I think that Bologna, you know, Bologna have obviously started off really well against Mihailovic they've, or with Mihailovic, and they're, they've got the talent to get out of this relegation problem, but I think that this will be slightly too far for them. A, a Roma team that's playing relatively well, a Bologna team that's going to give them some problems, I'm going to go 2-1 to Roma. Uh yeah, I like that scoreline. I, I I you know I, I like Roma to score a couple goals, but I think uh, they have moments of lapses in all their games, and I, I certainly think Santander or or whomever for Bologna can certainly get a goal. So 
Um, as much as Korobski wants to to get a win in this game, I think uh, Roma should be able to win this at home. Absolutely. Okay, let's do uh, goals of the week. I'm going to give you what I think are the top five. Um, I, and we're back to goals of the week and not plays of the week. Uh, I think we will. We should give uh, an honorable mention to uh, Sirigu though for his performance against Napoli and the nine saves that he made. And for the second for the second straight week, Napoli are kept out of goal uh, in Serie A. First Lafont, now Sirigu. Um, but uh, top five, and I'm going to go with uh, Farias. Uh, Farias's goal for Empoli at five. Krunic's goal for Empoli at number four. Chalhanolu's goal for Milan at number three. Dybala at number two, and of course, Christoph Piontek's equalizer against Atalanta is the goal of the week. Ah, very nice. I, I, um, I'm going to give honorable mention to uh, Etemilson Fernandez on his goal, as well as uh, Remo Freuler for his goal. But um, yeah, you know, Dybala, Piontek, Chalanolu, uh, Krunic, and Farias, not in that order, but those guys, those goals, I think those are certainly a top five. Excellent stuff. All right, and with the table, uh, Juventus now with a 13-point lead over Napoli. Um, Inter getting a win to keep some distance from the chasing pack uh, for a Champions League place. So uh, uh, getting it done and, uh, you know, back-to-back wins for Inter in all competitions since the whole Icardi debacle happened. Um, Bologna need to would love to get a win at the Olimpico against Roma uh, to get back level on points with Empoli. Um, at the bottom of the table, but yet they still sit 18th on 18 points. Frosinone 16, Chievo 9. Um, we know Chievo is going down. Do we start putting the dirt on Frosinone? Yes. Um, they had a fantastic result against Sampdoria last week, but I think that was a blip on the radar. I think they're for sure going down. The question is who's going to be the third team, and you have arguably, you know, Empoli, Bologna, Spal, Udinese, Cagliari to talk about in that regards. And I think Cagliari are safe, but um, it's going to be a, a dogfight for the last spot, and depends on who's getting hot. I mean, Empoli, if Empoli plays like they did against Sassuolo, then they should be safe, right? But they don't ever play other teams like this, so you never know. You never know. It's going to be hard. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that last that last spot is up for grabs because uh, Bologna have the t- as I as I've been saying now for the last couple months Bologna have the talent to get out, you know Empoli, Spa, Ludinese all could could fall apart on you here, um, you know at any point. So uh, it's going to be very very interesting as far as the relegation uh, battle is concerned. Um, you know, and going jumping back towards the top, obviously it's all about fourth right now. Milan getting some separation from Atalanta and Lazio. They hope to have some separation from Roma after tomorrow, but we think that uh, Roma will pull within a point uh, based on what we predicted. Uh, so Fiorentina, Ter- Fiorentina and Torino still uh, fighting. Um, they're within three points of the European place. Sampdoria with that loss at Inter and just can't seem to win away. Um, and I think that's going to be their undoing again and going to keep them out of the European places yet again. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, really the top four, well, the third and fourth place are starting to get some separation. We'll see what Roma has to put, but um, I'm, 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 as much as as much as the Champions League race is really interesting, I think the Europa League race is going to be just as interesting also, and um, the top half of the table really, I mean, any of these teams getting a hot streak, they can jump each other 
back and forth. So that's how tight it is, and that uh, uh, just shows how much how many, how many good teams there are in Syria. I mean, there's uh, there's at least ten good teams in Syria, and depending on form, you know, Sassuolo, uh, Sassuolo Sampdoria, you know, Jekyll and Hyde there. But other than that, the, the teams in the top nine are pretty consistent and uh, pretty good home in a way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So. Lots going on there with the table. Uh, go to at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Tell us what you think is going to happen with the relegation fight, what's going to happen in the battle for fourth. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie sit down. Man, Richard, <laughs> Italian football just gave us way too much to talk about this week. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, the old the old melodrama, right? It's always something going on in Serie A or Serie C, Serie C, as we saw we talked about this week. So. It's always something in Italy, right? And so uh, I guess that's a, that's a good thing. It gives us something to talk about. Indeed, indeed. Uh, anything you, uh, you want to plug? Um, no, really. Uh, just I've uh, been busy, busy, just busy, busy, obviously, with a newborn so, or an infant. Um, yeah, just follow me at r underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N on Twitter or Instagram. And, uh, yeah, keep up with me there. Excellent. You can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter, uh, at City I Sit Down on Twitter uh, or Instagram. We have our own page on iTunes. We have our own page on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher and you can find us on Spotify. Anywhere else, Richard? Um, Player FM, which they actually tweeted, uh, tweeted us the other day, tweeted a fan the other day saying, hey, City I Sit Down is on Player FM. And um, Spotify, like you said, uh, pretty much anywhere that streams music, Acast, uh, yeah, any, any streaming service, you'll find us there. So, uh, Give us a listen there. Outstanding. We also have our own YouTube channel, Richard. We'll put up the uh, goals of the week uh, on that. So do uh, be on the lookout and relive the uh, top goals uh, from match week 24. Um, so uh, uh, be on the lookout for them. The Lord knows when I'm, Lord knows when I'm going to actually do another video again. I just things are getting away from me like crazy. But um, but uh, but that's it, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us again. Special thanks to Stephen K. Moore for his insight and for uh, uh, giving us some good information about what's going on uh, with Lazio these days. And uh, want to thank you again for listening. And uh, again, this is Serie A Sit Down, a podcast from World Football Index. For Richard, I'm Frank. As always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Mm-hmm.